Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week we are discussing why therapy is cool. We are talking about feeling and dealing and healing our emotions and working through the tough stuff and how important that is for our connection to our bodies Um, especially when we're kind of in that intuitive mindset towards food and exercise. Now I invited someone who is really trying to change up the mental health game, is trying to make therapy cool and I think is doing a brilliant job. We have Tiffany Rowe on today, someone who I connected through social media with and who I think you are going to love. For me this this conversation felt like almost partly like a therapy session um, and I hope it feels like that for you too and that you get a lot from it as well. So just a heads up before we get into the episode that there is another Intuitive Movement 101 online interactive event coming soon after the success of our event a few weeks ago on Sunday the 6th of September at 10am UK time there will be another Intuitive Movement 101 workshop. So check out the link in the info box that has all the information and ticket details. Remember there are two prices, there's an accessibility price which is making it more financially affordable and the full price ticket as well. So there's options for everyone. I really hope I get to see you there, it'll be virtually seeing you there. Um, But yeah, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. So welcome to the podcast, Tiffany Rowe, someone who I have wanted to have on the podcast for so long. We finally made it work. Um, London to Utah, that's right, isn't it? Utah, all the way out here in Orem, Utah. (laughs) Um, We were just kind of chatting and catching up before we started recording, but I just would love to know like how you've been coping with just the world right now. I think it's, it's hard. It's hard. I I mean, I think it's like one coffee at a time, you know, yes. <laughs> uh, seriously, like one moment at a time and trying to like check in and stay grounded. I think for me, this breakdown in society and my typical routine and coping skills has forced me to like double down on self-care and I almost am doing better than I ever have in a sense of like, I am fiercely protective of my time. I'm fiercely protective of my self-care. Like I don't let myself get too burnt out because there's no, I don't have that bandwidth, right? So it's an interesting kind of give and take. What do you do for self-care? You know, I am a bath girl. Like <laughs> it's like to the point of like trying to like boil myself sometimes. <laughs> Like, the raisin vibe. Yeah. So hot and just like the sweat and the like oils and the salts. Like that's my nightly routine for sure. Always do that. Trying to get some joyful movement in, some dance therapy. I've been doing more 
mental health counseling for myself. Those are probably my go-tos and then tacos, you know. I think I, when I first started following you online, we'll get into exactly who you are because everyone's listening in a minute, but just when I, when I first started following you online, I think it's when you just, you're doing like your dance party event. Like, yeah. Like your and explain what it is because <laughs> I feel like you could go on a world tour and so many people would turn up and I would be there, come to London, do it. I'm there. That's next. Like, yes. I mean, we had a dance party planned for October here in Salt Lake City. And we can't do it, right? Like, yeah. and it's wild. The, so much has happened um, that impacts kind of what I'd love to do. But yeah, we would love to go on tour. We'd love to go everywhere and make these accessible. So I started doing dance parties uh, in 2018 because a couple of reasons. The, the research with therapy, like I'm a therapist, it's great. I sit with people. I talk with them. I do talk therapy. I can be super good at my job, but it only goes so far. Like we have to bridge the gap between experience and using our bodies to help us heal. So like dancing is rhythmic movement. It's breathing. It's using your body. And there's so much research, especially in the trauma field or recovery field for eating disorders about connecting this mind body. And so it's like, let's talk about our stuff. Let's feel our feelings and let's move our bodies and dance and use rhythm and express ourselves and connect with community. And it's healing. And I'm like, what better way is there to reach people than to mix it up? Come to my couch, come to my dance party, let's do karaoke, let's have events and meet mental health and change the mental health game. So that's how dance parties evolved. We've done two, they both sold out. The last one, Evelyn Triboli came to, which was a dream. And it was just this event of camaraderie and connection and movement. And it's, it's part of mental health. That's what it's all about, a mental health dance party. And you have your, am I right calling it the Mindful Counseling Studio? Yeah, yes. So you mentioned you're a therapist. Um, so I'd love you to talk about like, yeah, what you specialize in and how you are different than your average therapist. I mean, throwing dance parties is already <laughs> a bit different than, if I, to, if I asked my therapist to throw a dance party, um, she's, she's a bit older. I would wonder what she would say. I might ask her. She might be breaking it down, showing us some new moves. She might be. She might be. Let's invite her, dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, like, let's just be clear. Like, if I wasn't a therapist, I'd want to be, like, a fly girl from In Living Color, like that 90s comedy show where the girls dance, or, like, a cruise director. Like, it's just my personality. I'm outgoing. Um, I like to dance. I like to have fun. And so there is some selfish intention there, like... <laughs> I just want to have a good time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not your typical therapy move, right? Like, no. But I think it's important to understand that like mental health is changing. We're changing the stigma that therapy is cool. Mental health matters. And if we want to change this game and we want to banish this idea that you're weak for having mental health fluctuations. We're going to have to do it in a new way. And to me, this is fun. This is accessible. This speaks to a lot of different people. And I feel called to the work. I'm like, if a therapist is going to do this, it's going to be me. Why can't we do what the research says? Even if I'm breaking those stereotypes, if I'm not like your typical therapist, if I'm a little bit rogue, 
maybe I've been given this personality and this drive for a reason to reach more people and to help banish the stigma. So that's just kind of how I view it. And I mean, it's not for everyone. It's not for every therapist. That's not their calling, but I definitely feel a very strong pull to do things differently because that's how we're going to change. Because there is so much stigma and shame around the idea of seeing someone to talk about your feelings, to discuss life events to process all that stuff because I think people see it as a weakness as it's it it means you can't handle stuff on your own and therefore you're not a strong enough person um and in my experience the strongest people I know have invested in their mental health have put the time in for themselves to get help but like if anything, I see going to therapy, I see making time for yourself in that way, whether it's therapy, whether it's a dance party in your kitchen, it's making space for yourself, for yourself just to kind of be and and be with like yourself, if that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. allow that time. Um, and it's not a selfish thing, I don't think. I think it's an important thing. And I'd love to know what you think about that. Yeah. Like first I'm thinking like you're in London, I'm here in the U S and we're dealing with the same stigma. Mm. This is culturally reinforced in a lot of places. And we're raised with this cultural belief system that needing help is weakness or having emotion is weakness or having struggle is weakness, which is impossible not to have. So we're just set up for shame and this sense of failure because we're humans. We're, we're being human by having mental health fluctuations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. This is a really toxic culture that we teach kids from the get-go, don't cry or don't talk about our problems. Like we're perfect, put on a front. Um, these messages get reinforced and then we have it you know, reinforced in media. And so- Yeah, this stigma is really deeply held, but for us to challenge that and to say, there's no weakness in valuing mental health. We value physical health. Surely diet culture makes billions off of that message. Why do we still have this stigma around mental health that says you shouldn't have any struggles there? I think it's because we still blame people. We think it's a choice. Yeah. Just be happy. Don't be depressed. Just be positive. We don't understand if you say that to someone with a cold, that doesn't change their experience with disease or health fluctuations. We expect it. We understand that's human. There's literally no difference. We're still dealing with a biological condition. We're still dealing with environmental stressors. Think about COVID. Like mental health is wrecked across the board. Think about systemic racism and the fight for Black Lives Mattering, like mental health will be affected by this and us saying it shouldn't be or acknowledging that is just delusion. Like, so we just have to have these conversations. Me and you have to have this conversation of like, we struggle. You can still be a successful, good person. This isn't a moral failing. This isn't a choice. This isn't weakness. This just means you're human. Let's start talking about it. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. I, I feel all that stigma too. Um, how did you come to this work? How did you find yourself being this therapy throwing da- therapist throwing dance party? <laughs> that's how, I'm sorry, but I really just pushed that narrative on you. Like that's who you are from this episode. She's the Dude, one, that's yeah, my tagline. Oh yeah. The dance party girl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that does set me apart, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
You know, it's funny. Like I, I didn't always know I would be a therapist when I was 23 recovering from an eating disorder in therapy. I remember sitting on my therapist's couch being like, and she looked at me, she's like, you could do this work. Like you're a smart girl. Like you have this passion, like, wow, you could help people. And I was like, no way. I'm not smart enough. I can't do that. And that was my mindset then. And so I had to overcome my self-defeating beliefs, my perfectionism, healing from an eating disorder. That set me on the trajectory towards this path to want to help other people with the same struggles I've overcome and dealt with. Um, So that's one piece of it. But then it's funny to say like, oh, you're this therapist who throws dance parties. Like you're you, you're so authentic to who you are. That wasn't always me. I felt a lot of pressure in grad school to conform to the stereotype of therapist. Like, hmm, tell me how you feel. I'm flat noted and I wear a cardigan and I'm even tempered and calm. Uh, I even had like a teacher in grad school say, INFPs were the therapist personality. They were the ones who were going to be successful. That's the Myers-Briggs typology. Have you heard those letters before? I have, but I don't know what they mean. Is it yeah. introverted or something? Right, right, right. It's like, are you introverted or extroverted? And so they said introverts are good therapists. Clearly, I'm an extrovert. Are you uh, intuitive or thinking? Uh, I don't know these off the top of my head. I'm really should as a therapist. Are you <laughs> judging or perceiving? Whatever. There's like these kind of different typologies and they're like, here's what a good therapist is. And obviously I'm the opposite of all of those according to <laughs> like this teacher. Anyway, so I really had this shame message of like, I got to change who I am. I got to shut up and like fit this mold. I'm never going to be able to wear leopard leggings again. And I had to kind of grieve myself be like, I better become this therapist. So I had that crisis for a while, um, but it didn't work, right? You can't be inauthentic to yourself. You can't be something you're not. So eventually, as I got experience as a therapist, I started taking risks and being like, actually, my power is in being me. Being me is my purpose. This is why my clients like me. I'm going to show the world. I'm going to market who I am. And that has just really benefited my work. And now I can do what I really believe in, dance parties, karaoke, make merch, have fun mail sent to people, do my podcast, speak the way I speak. And so it was a journey and it's actually a journey I preach all the time. Be true to who you are, be authentic, get your own back. But I had to come to that. And you do do, um, you do, do the intuitive easing work as well, don't you? Kind of. Um, oh yeah. I know that you're big on that as well. How yeah. Did you, um, because we speak, we've, we had Evelyn on a few episodes ago and um, we've spoken, you know, I'm a big advocate of intuitive eating, intuitive movement. Um, and I just wondered from someone who's been there in terms of it, perhaps helping you. Oh, my boyfriend, hang on a second. Boyfriend just coming in. I don't know if you can hear the back. Life, working at home, right? <laughs> He's been on a bike ride. Um, so we had Evelyn on recently and um you know we're big on intuitive easing here intuitive movement all for it and i would just wonder about your personal and perhaps your professional experience working with intuitive eating and um eating disorder perhaps with your eating disorder recovery yeah also those in recovery and how it played a role if it played a role or if it was something you came to later on oh yeah i think i i'm an intuitive eater because of my eating disorder it saved me major, 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 like Evelyn's book saved my life. 
that was so necessary. So yeah, like I had a full-blown eating disorder. I suffered from anorexia and bulimia and orthorexia and got into treatment. Um, and the treatment center was intuitive eating supportive and introduced me to that concept. And I ran with it, you know, after getting stabilized and doing my treatment and working with my therapist and stuff. Um, but that changed the game for me. I've been an intuitive eater for 14 years and will never go back. And now that's part of the work I do with folks in eating disorder recovery. I think it's always really important to acknowledge if you have an eating disorder, intuitive eating may not be right for you right now. You might need to stick with your meal plan for a while. It may be six months to a year before you can even get past some of the major concepts. I mean, no matter where you are, everyone can benefit from the first principle of rejecting diet culture. Like we're all there. Everyone can get cool with the idea of making peace with all foods. But there's other principles where you're in the depths of an eating disorder that aren't going to be appropriate, like listening to your hunger cues, for example. Your hunger cues are probably numbed out. You don't feel them or you don't feel hungry at all. So that's why you just have to be cautious with where you are when you have that background. Um, I don't know how long it took for me to apply it, but it definitely was a compass for me in the goal of like, oh, wow, there's an option to not diet. I didn't realize that. There's an option to have a good relationship with food. What's that even mean? So that mm. saved me. This idea of like, I didn't have to rely on external rules anymore and I could trust myself. Dude, intuitive eating is about food, but it's also not. What I have found as a therapist is intuitive eating is about everything. And this happens to all my clients too. It's like, oh my gosh, now that I'm empowered with food and I trust my judgment, guess what that's applying to? Everything else. And it rocks people's lives because they're like, holy crap. I, I can listen to myself. I matter. Boundaries matter. I'm important. Wow. I can feel my feelings again. Like it is just a holistic, powerful intervention. So hell to the yeah for intuitive eating. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah. I feel like with it, that very thing of like, and Evelyn mentioned this as well. Like once you get that intuitive eating part, you notice how you become intuitive with so many things. This is why I talk about exercise, but like for me, and I, I wonder, well, maybe we'll get on into this. I see people, and I, I say this from personal experience, using food, using exercise to cope with things. To be honest, so, um, not consciously thinking I'm using this to cope with things, but through therapy and hindsight, using that stuff to cope with deeper stuff. And once I was able to kind of get those things in a good place, I was able to then actually confront the other stuff. And, yeah. but it also brought an awareness to myself and to my body and to like physical sensations with my body that I'd never felt before. And like up until the last few years, I never realized, and you'll be like, of course, but I never realized how trauma was stored in the body and how mm. There's a, there's a physicality to our mental health that I did, did not know existed until recently. Yeah. And that has just like blown me away. And I think partly of that interoceptive awareness element of intuitive eating has been huge in that for me personally, but I totally get that it is, yeah, it's just like, it kind of gives you that trust and connection and confidence to, like you said, just have that judgment for everything else. And it's, it's huge. So I'm really, I'm really glad you, you said that because I think very important. 
Yeah, that's why it's cool to have like dietitians on board with intuitive eating, therapists on board, MDs, personal trainers, because it's going to affect all of these areas of our life. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. You're making peace with food, but now you use your body and understand intuitive movement. And now you understand the emotional connection and the trauma. And so I, I hope it becomes the medical norm. I hope this becomes a standard of care because it's ethical, it's holistic, and it's it's helping us feel, deal, heal. So we're going to get on to feel, deal, heal because it is one of your top hashtags. It is your, <laughs> <laughs> it's your, it's your second slogan. I, um, yeah, feel, deal, heal is something I use a lot. It's something I say to people, if people are messaging me, I'm like, check out Tiffany Rowe for feel, deal, heal, because that's what we have to do. And like I, you know, I've just said for me, pre-intuitive eating like having no awareness of like really that awareness of emotions that physical sensation what was really running through my head um and yeah feel do heal is a journey i am on and i would love to hear from you what it is and we're gonna like break it down but i would love to just hear what inspired feel do heal just like the mantra itself yeah i need a better story for like where it came (laughs) from I, you know, I just, two parts, like I was a writer before I was a therapist. And so I think I, words and connections and phrases is just a way I express myself, but also I'm a teacher. And so I like to break down complex topics into easy to understand, digestible, memorable ideas. So I don't know, feel, deal, heal just came to my brain at one point. Because that's what it's all about. If I have one message, one thing that we all need, what's going to change the mental health game? How are we going to heal? How are we going to break stigma? What is therapy? What is something everyone can do today? It's feel, deal, heal. It's a process. Each, each piece of that is in depth. Um, each piece of it requires connection and and ongoing relationship and checking in. So really it's just a summary of human being human and how to have good mental health if I had to break it down. And it doesn't hurt that they rhyme and they all have four letters, right? Like it's catchy. It's great. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, so you nailed it. Um what so let's like start with the feel. And like I my question is, is it feel deal heal in order? Like is that always obviously I feel like the heal bit's always going to come at the end, but is it the feeling that the, like, is it that step always, if that makes sense, that, that process always? You know, I think it is, but I also am a therapist and don't want to overgeneralize or say this is a rigid step-by-step process. I don't know if it's so much a staircase as it is an escalator where you're, it is fluid, um, but you can't heal without feeling and dealing and dealing with things without feeling. So I kind of do think they are built upon each other. It could be immediate. It could be drawn out. Um, so I conceptualize it more of that specific step process, but it, it's also fluid and influences in each other and is dynamic. But yeah, you're not going to heal if you don't feel and deal. And do you think you can be like simultaneously healing while still working through stuff like parts of it's healing as you're yeah it can be a simultaneous thing yeah so that's why I want to really acknowledge like it's dynamic and interactive because it's not like you're not healing 
if you're not constantly feeling trauma and pain, that's not necessarily what it means. Healing is probably the most abstract one of them in that this isn't like a checkbox. We never arrive in perfect perfection. Um, and healing is an ongoing process and relationship with ourself of authenticity. It's learning and unlearning. So it's influenced con- constantly by this, this uh, approach to mental health. And so you can't heal without feeling and dealing, but I'm not saying healing is like this end result that happens because of that. It's super dynamic. Yeah, that was that was one of my questions in, in terms of like, is it like, right, I've healed, done, done and dusted, I've totally healed, no more, none of that's ever gonna have to, to think about that again. Or is it like, yeah, is that that ongoing kind of, you can, maybe you heal like, you know, 98% from something. <laughs> yeah. Always be like a 2% thing that happens later on and you're like, oh, I'm still learning about myself from you know dealing with that passing like oh yeah that's you know how we say and for me I'm thinking about saying like I feel like I've healed my relationship with food right and I would say probably to like that 98 99% level are there still times when a thought whizzes through my head like hmm how many calories are in that like oh should I eat being less and I'm like huh where'd that come from that that curiosity rather than the judgment of it but to me that's maybe like the healing process is ongoing because life yes. events are going to happen and stuff's going to happen and it might knock you off balance and you're like, whoa, let me get back. And that's yeah. That's like a micro feel deal heal moment. You have yeah. a trigger, you have a thought. And instead of shoving it down, avoiding, suppressing, numbing out, you said, I'm aware of this. I'm going to deal with it. You chose a behavior and that's part of your healing. So that's exactly what it is. And are any of, do any of us ever arrive? I have two examples, like recovery from an eating disorder and grief are the two examples I use when I describe feeling, dealing, healing. Like I am fully recovered from my eating disorder, straight up. 14 years, I have no symptoms of that disease. Now, could I relapse? Sure. Do I have like diet culture thoughts come up to me? Do I have to face transitions in life and choose not to use body to control my emotions? Sure. Now, is it invasive and compulsive like it was when I was active in the disease? No, but it's just a conscious part of living in diet culture. So that's an ongoing healing. Even though I'm healed from my eating disorder, I'm fully recovered. I still feel deal heal with the triggers and the underlying issues that created that. I still have moments where I have to like face and resolve things or work on my mental health. So it's all so dynamic and fluid and nothing happens in a vacuum. So even if we're healed, we still work and we still heal and we still prog- progress, right? So, or grief. I think grief is a really poignant way to think about feeling, dealing, healing. Like you think you're cool, you're functioning you're not impaired, you're not having any thoughts or feelings. And then one day it's like, oh, wow, where'd that come from? Mm. And you have to feel deal again. And the healing is not achieved necessarily like this pretty little box with a bow on it. It's, oh, there's another wave. I'm going to surf it. Oh, I'm going to feel this again. Oh, I'm committed to facing my stuff. So I'm not suppressing it and avoiding. And that's the healing process. So not necessarily a destination, even though you can be healed. It's so interactive. I really love the analogy of the waves because I feel like, do you feel this 
kind of learning the tools of feeling your emotions, dealing with them is kind of learning to surf almost. Yeah. It's like literally the first time I've never surfed. So I'm going to pretend that I know what I'm talking about here, but you know, when you're like, even just like on the sand and I've seen, you know, TV and movies and stuff, people on their tummies, like then practicing standing up on the board and then, then they get out in the ocean and then like, it's a step process before you're actually like riding the waves and yeah, that, that's what that, like, if there was a metaphor for it, I don't know that I like that analogy. Yeah, it's brilliant. And urge, I mean, surfing is a common analogy kind of in the mental health field, like urge surfing is a cognitive behavior therapy skill. This idea that urges are waves and they always crest and peak and then fall. And our job is to use mindfulness and non-judgment and radical acceptance to kind of ride these waves. And all of us who have sat with uncomfortable emotions know exactly what that's like, right? And so, yeah, I love that analogy. If you have to learn how to do it, it's a skill. So if I just say, feel, deal, heal, go for it. People are like, wait, what? Like, how do I feel? So you're exactly right. It's like, let's sit on the sand and do some education. Let me tell you that emotion is not permanent, that it will always move, that it is like a a wave and it will always crest and fall, that it's not permanent. And let me teach you about the paradox of emotion by, by feeling it, by sticking your toes in the water, it'll come and go. But you try to fight those waves or punch through them or overcome them, like it, you might really, you might really struggle with trying to be successful mm-hmm. with that. So I love this idea of building the skill set, and you get better at time. You surf enough, and you ride these waves, and you now have a, a tool belt. You have a skill set that doesn't mean sometimes huge tidal waves don't come and knock you over, but we stay dedicated to consistently feeling and practicing coping skills, and dedicated to our healing. I'm really, really here for this surfing thing because it's really like yeah I totally get it (laughs) yes it makes sense makes total sense to me so let's talk about the feeling aspect how do we start feeling our emotions um and well maybe let's start in ways that we don't let ourselves feel feel our emotions like what are the ways in which we distract or numb ourselves to emotion and then how do we I mean that's a big question how do you let go of those things but how do we start to like yeah just be more aware of what we're feeling and and naming that thing yeah so there's a lot to unpack there right like there's a massive question (laughs) so let's let's surf it um so first of all feeling is not as easy as it sounds I could lead you through a visualization right now and be like, I know the best way to help you get in touch with your emotions. And literally some of these listeners are going to be like, I can't do it. So that's like the sitting on the sand education component. Mm -hmm. Is it safe to feel emotions in your body? Do you have trauma? Are you dissociated? Are you in a freeze state? Is your nervous system in a place where it can't tolerate these body sensations? Maybe you have disordered eating or an eating disorder and you're so numbed out from your body cues, you're not in your body, you're not feeling. So some of us building up to feeling is a process of basically learning how to get safe in your body, respecting your body by feeding it consistently, giving it rest, giving it nourishment, managing stress so it trusts you and it can communicate with you again. So self-care, safety, grounding, 
learning how to regulate emotions so you can feel like a lot of us, if you're in chronic survival mode, if you're literally not safe and we're like, oh, just feel your feelings, that may not be realistic. So there's kind of that preparation. Let's say you are cool and can feel right now. Then I would say, let's start this, this body awareness, this embodiment. What is emotion? Emotion is sensation in your body. It's energy moving in your body. There's another common mental health um, anecdote of emotion is e-motion, energy in motion. And that's all it is. And it literally is sensation in different parts of your body. So that, blows my, that actually blows my mind because this feels like new information for me. So that is fascinating. Isn't, so can you, isn't can you therapy say, cool? I love it. I'm literally here to be a sponge and just soak up all your like amazing knowledge. So can we talk about more about those physical sensations and I don't know what they might feel like or Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe some examples. I got you. Yeah, let's talk about that. So every single person listening right now, if you had to describe the sensation and where it is in your body, what does anxiety feel like? First of all, where is it in your body? Mm, mine can be in my tummy or in my chest. Tummy or chest. I could have mm -hmm. predicted that with a yeah. million dollar bet on it. Because that's what everyone says. Mm. Now, can it be somewhere else? Absolutely. But we all know that's where we feel anxiety. Now, sensation. Think about sensation. What does that mean? The problem is we're like, I hate it. Don't feel it. It's bad. It's painful. That's not sensation. That's judgment. So I'm saying feel the sensation. Is it tickling, pounding, throbbing, stabbing, scratching, bumping, pumping? What is the sensation? So you got to get quiet and tune in without resistance to be like, what's it feel like? What's the sensation? What would you say? I would say, um, well, I feel like in general, I've been, well, let's have a therapy session. I have been, <laughs> I've probably been feeling like maybe just a bit on edge this whole week. And I don't, I, and consciously, I don't know why, but I can tell that my body's anxious about something. So for me, it feels around my kind of rib cage area, diaphragm area. And I basically take shallow breaths. And then when I do a deep breath, everything releases. So for me, it feels quite tight. Mm -hmm, tight. Um, but also, and like, I feel like it's my diaphragm, but also maybe it's fuzzy a word. That's the, like the, the way I can just picture it in my head is like, it's like this fuzzy line. that's yeah. like a band around my diaphragm. That's cool. Wow. You're, you're, you're doing amazing. Okay. Yeah. That's really good. You took it beyond just sensation and you jumped ahead. Like you're advanced to be able to visualize it of how do you experience this? What's it look like? The sensation, the movement is a dynamic. Is it stuck or moving? Mm. And what substance is it? And you already described kind of this band that's like vibrating. Mm. You're good at this. Good job. Thanks. Not everyone is. So don't be discouraged or worried if you can't remember. Like there's a lot of work it takes. I can tell you've done therapy and mm. you have a good relationship with your body because you can feel those sensations and it's safe to do that. A lot of us have to learn the skill. We got to practice surfing. So you're a good surfer, but that took work. Mm. And so I would say... Other things you can say is that sensation, what color is it? 
I feel like it's a hot color, so like a ready orange. Yeah. And look at you. You already identified the temperature. It's dope. Good job. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, is it is it stuck right now? Is it moving around? Like, the way I can describe it, it feels like it's like a... It literally feels like it's alive in my diaphragm. So for me, it feels like an arch above my mm. tummy. Mm-hmm. And I notice that it makes me feel tense. And then I consciously go like, uh, because I, I mean, having, you know, I have done a lot of therapy for like the last year and I have put such to come more aware of my body. So this is, I'm, I know that this is my body feeling a bit anxious. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I am used to this and, but like, yeah, really getting down to the like details of like what it is. I've like not done that before. This is very helpful for me. Yeah. I wish we all learned this in kindergarten. It would be yeah. wild, but this is, you're simply tuning into your body. Your body is the best tool to help you feel emotion. It's energy in motion. It's literally just sensation and it's held where it's held. Sometimes uh, we carry it in certain places, but sometimes it's indicative of of a, of a feeling. So like, let's say it's stuck in your throat and it's like, ah, mm-hmm. that might be indicative of like, I need to speak this mm-hmm. or I don't have a voice around this or like, oh, I feel sick to my stomach. There's your body is giving you information and you just tuning in and being aware without resistance and without judgment is feeling period. That's feeling. Yeah. One of the things that I have, like, cause this kind of came up in, in therapy with me and, and there was a sensation where, where I get it when I'm really stressed, but partly like when I was at the, you know, during we chatting prior to recording, like in lockdown, it's been some of my like deepest work in therapy. Yeah. And that caused a lot of physical sensations in my body and particularly around my chest. But it's really interesting. That sensation like moved up my body and now it's gone. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's my, it could potentially come back, but for me, I felt like it was this, the, a lot of stuff I've been holding for so long was literally moving up my body. And like one week it would be in my chest. The next week I'd say to my parents, like it's, it's at my throat now. I know it's, it's getting ready to leave. It's, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's literally like coming up out of my mouth. Like I know it's going to go soon. Um, and I found that really like, even when it was very uncomfortable, I found that really encouraging to think like it's on its way out. Yeah. I'm acknowledging this. So it's going to move and it's going to go. And like, that's going to be really powerful for me. And that was very like, it was like a physical sensation to a lot of things that I've been holding on to, you know, and just yeah. like releasing it. What you are talking about is what I see every day in therapy mm-hmm. by feeling it, it can move. And by leaning in and allowing those sensations to be there and to give them attention, to validate them, to acknowledge them, to be curious, they move because they're waves. And will they come back? Probably. Mm-hmm. But you're going to experience them differently. And you experience the great secret, the great paradox by feeling emotion, it can pass. Yes. And I think also one of the other things is like the feeling component. And then also the naming of what you're feeling mm-hmm. in terms of like, so I, yeah, I think I've spoken about with like various family members because quite a few of us are in therapy and we talk about this and, you know, about having a language to describe your emotions and, you know, my family, they're big readers, they're linguists, they speak different languages 
And yet we we struggle to have a vocabulary to say, you can say, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm happy. And then between that, like, there's like not much nuance and not, it's not easy to like get to like what that word is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered if you had any tips or, or thoughts about how to actually understand or describe that the feeling the physical feeling you know like saying you know this is a tension because of a deep anger a sense of injustice like i know yeah i i mean it's subjective which is tricky mm-hmm. we don't have like an x-ray that's going to show us yeah an objective idea so i think you're going to be the best judge of what's happening in your body and since there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer it's your subjective experience i can't say no, it's not a green circle that's like throbbing and tense because of this. Mm. I don't think it matters if it's accurate because accurate isn't really true in emotion all the time. It's perception. And so I would say go with that. Just simply being aware enough to try to tune into it is healing and helpful in dealing with it, mm. even if you're missing the mark. Maybe it's not because of a deeper rage or anger or trauma but you're curious about that and explore that, that's going to help you come to clarity, whether it's objectively true or not. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But just getting curious of like, so what are the sensations and what does that mean to me? Sometimes I think of it like a dream. There's people out there who are going to say, here's what dreams mean. But ultimately we know, what do you think the dream means? What do you take away from that? What's the impact and meaning for your life? And I think it's the same with emotions. What's that sensation like for you? What's the meaning? What's the impact? How do you experience it? And go, go from there. And a lot of this is hypotheses, like what's that mean? And where's that coming from? And is there something deeper? I think if we keep taking this feeling approach of being curious, being mindful, being open, being radically accepting, not resisting, that's the healing component of like new stuff is always going to come up. And you're on this journey of a cool relationship with yourself, a journey of being really dedicated to honoring your emotions because they matter. And you'll know what they mean better than anyone else, better than what I could say. I could give you ideas, like, yeah, anxiety's felt here and here, and usually it's these sensations, but it's not like a universal truth for everyone. And so how do we go from, like, feeling that physical stuff and um, – well, actually, one thing I wanted to talk to you about because I find it fascinating, this is another personal experience, is, and I know that so many people are, struggle with um, digestive issues mm-hmm. around um, – often around like stressful times and then obviously diet culture teaches us to equate every single issue every single gut issue with a food so we eliminate we eliminate we eliminate and often then we find things can get often more stressed or things go to more extremes and I'm just so fascinated by the idea that obviously we have like our gut brain axis and how our gut is our second brain or the other aspect of our brain and how that it that when we're not acknowledging that those those emotions we're not feeling those emotions or um it tries to really tell us through our gut and Mm. I just yeah I just wondered what your thoughts on that in a maybe if you've got more like professional experience with that 
Yeah, the, right. Like our neurotransmitters are affecting our digestion. We know specifically with anxiety and getting in our digestive tract that that to me is your body giving you a signal what's going on and being aware of that and having these somatic symptoms, these physical symptoms is indicative of something going on and we need to reply to that information. So are we totally dysregulated? Is that what that means? Are we outside of our coping strategy? Are we totally panicked, fight, flight, or freeze? Are we in survival mode? Is that why this is kicking in? Because our digestion just has to like, you know, it's responding to the survival instinct. So use that as information and it can have absolutely nothing to do with food. The best thing you can do is feed yourself to regulate the emotion, Mm. to help prevent the anxiety from getting worse, to do the breathing exercises, to say, okay, I'm out of whack. I'm outside of my window of tolerance. I'm not able to cope with this level of stress. It's It's affecting me in other ways. What do I need to do to manage? What do I need to do to cope and deal because you may be outside of your window of tolerance for feeling. It may be such strong anxiety or panic. Your nervous system is like, oh, shoot, we're in survival mode. There's a saber-toothed tiger coming after us. Like, now I have diarrhea every day because COVID is so stressful because I'm literally not safe in my body if I live in a black body. Like, these ideas, these things affect your system. So how do I get safe? How do I regulate this emotion and do my best given the circumstance? So this is the connection between feeling and dealing. I need to cope because this feeling is too intense. Maybe I'm not safe. So yeah, how, how do we deal? How do we, what is the dealing part? Like, what is that? Is that the processing of that emotion? Like we felt the emotion, then we process it and explore it. And, and how do you recommend we start dealing with stuff? Yeah. So when you described like, oh, I have this band around my diaphragm and I would take a deep breath and it releases it. I'm like, Mm. boom, feel deal, baby. Yeah. It's those micro moments. And like, so feeling is essentially awareness and mindfulness, allowing the sensation, allowing the energy, like feel it. I can feel this. Mm. Dealing is then not running away, staying with it. So what do I do with this now? I'm going to deal with this instead of alcohol, drugs, compulsive spending, you know, um, unsafe sex, restriction of food, compulsive exercise, like things we do to numb or avoid, we're going to deal with that feeling. So if you have anxiety in your chest, what would it look like to deal with it? How do you nurture it? How do you soothe it? How do you cope with it? How do you regulate it? How do you stand by yourself? I imagine we're all like these little kids walking around in bigger adult bodies, but we, we don't know how to cope with our emotions. So we have to kind of put our arms around ourselves and be like, okay, if you're feeling this sensation, it's safe to feel this. So that might be part of the dealing is just self-validation. It's okay that I feel this emotion. This emotion matters. So validation, self-compassion. It's okay that I'm sad. No wonder I'm overwhelmed. The world is wackadoodle right now. It might look like breathing exercises, muscle relaxation, therapy, talking to a friend, getting a hug, eating food, resting, taking a hot bath. It's coping skills. Dealing can look like a lot of different things. And dealing might be setting a boundary, saying no, Mm. taking a break. It might be, you know, any number of things, inner child work, having fun, having play, sitting in the sunshine, taking a deep breath, cooking a home-cooked meal. 
what do I need to do to deal with this? And there's not always a one-time prescription and it's going to be different for everyone. Again, it's subjective. What helps you process emotion? So it's this balance of I'm feeling, I honor this. And sometimes dealing might be like, I just am going to cry and feel this. Yes. The tears leaving the body, the literal stress leaving through your eyeballs is amazing. Isn't that weird? Like it's a literal, it's so energy. Remember like emotion is energy in motion. That's a manifestation of that. The tears are the literal energy exiting the stress hormones going out. It's a beautiful coping skill. Yes. We are all for the tears at the train happy podcast. I'm a big advocate of crying. Uh (laughs) Crying is cool. Yes. Let's make a sticker. Yes, that's a new one. Yes, crying is cool. Yes. <laughs> Normalize crying. Yes. Um, but seriously, like we do need to do that because there's a lot of people who don't let themselves cry. And then what I and then maybe we can just touch on the fact that when we don't let ourselves cry and we don't let like that that energy doesn't stop existing. It goes back down inside. And to me, it's like the energy grows. Mm-hmm. And we just keep pushing it down and pushing it down. And that's partly for me where like, for me, the, the gut issues happen because I'm keep pushing it down and literally like, where else can it go down to my, like, that's, the, that's the bottom of my, my body. If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's this like top down process. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, I, I, I have learned the hard way that we like, like our bodies are not these, like, I don't know if you know, Dr. Who, do you know Dr. Who? Not really. I mean, I know of it. Sorry. It's like a sci-fi show, but in Doctor Who, he has a TARDIS. And the TARDIS is like this police box and you open it and it's like this huge thing. But our bodies are not a TARDIS, is what I'm trying to say. And (laughs) eventually it's going to get full up and that's when things start like overflowing. And I think that's when we reach our capacity with things. And when when we're like, I've reached my limit, Uh, 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 I can't do this on my own anymore. Yes. And I think, um, yeah, that's partly of that, that, that need to like not release and just like, no, 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 hold it back, hold it back. Yeah. I mean, it's not like feel, deal, heal is a real theory, but if it were, you understand it. The idea of like Mm. the opposite of shoving down, resisting is leaning in, feeling and taking it on. Mm. It's, it's an approach to having acceptance of your emotions. And so, yeah, crying that immediate resistance we have to it, super normal reinforce culturally and if you're going to feel and deal you you feel that choking rising and it's like right there and you have a choice you're like Mm. i can feel this okay i'm gonna cry or like no don't shove it down it's those little micro moments and feeling that is moving towards goals of like really authentic connected value-based living whereas shoving it down just keeps it stuck you're right it's energy where's it gonna go it's not just gonna disappear we have to give it attention and, I, and another aspect of like the dealing thing I would love to talk to you about is journaling because I see you posting your journal prompts. Yeah. And I know, I feel like you're a bit of a master of journaling. I am very new to it. I literally just write down exact, like just word vomit on the page and just kind of go like, that's my brain. That's it on the page that helps me. But I see like you have a bit more, you, are, you ask questions, there's a bit more structure going on. So for myself and for everyone listening, like how can we up our journaling game, mm. give it a bit more of a direction, like to make it work for us a bit more? Yeah, journaling is such a great deal technique. I am in 
journaling was like a foundation of my personal recovery from an eating disorder. I had to like feel and talk about stuff and work through it. And when I would get triggered, try to understand why I wanted to resort to my like self-defeating behaviors and what can I do instead. So it's such a great way to process emotion and combine sensation. So you're writing with a hand and activating, you know, the opposite hemisphere of your brain, connecting emotion, feeling, thinking, processing, it takes time. So you have to sit with stuff. I just love, love all of it. And let me say, there's no wrong way. If you're word vomiting and it's just your brain and like, here's what it is. Perfect. There's no wrong way to journal. Um, if you're journaling like as a like day-to-day record of what you've done, cool. And maybe by doing that, you open up a connection to be more vulnerable or ask deeper questions. Um, but I like to come in with really specific prompts just because not everyone knows how to go deeper or what to write about. And so that's an option if that feels good for you and your body and your mind and your mental health. So you could pick anything, pick a topic. What's a goal you want to work on? Let's say you want to work on feeling. Maybe you could just ask yourself, like, what's my relationship with feeling? You could ask that question about any issue, depression, anxiety, food, exercise, mental health, stigma. So what's my relationship like with this thing? What are my beliefs about this thing? What are my feelings? What are my thoughts? What was I taught? So just start, I mean, what are you curious about? And start journaling deeper. And those kind of questions open up a lot of doors, right? And then and you could go even deeper. Like, well, where did these beliefs come from? Do they benefit me? What are the pros or cons? You know, how does it impact my day-to-day life? Is this what I want? So I, I look at it like in, in vest, investigative. How come I can't think of that word? Investigative? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> like journalism, like uh, exploring and getting curious about yourself. Like, why do I act the way I act? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I think the way I think? And if all you come up with in journaling is I don't know, I'm like, cool, journal about it again tomorrow and the next day. And just... Start getting curious about yourself. Why am I the way I am? That's one of my favorite parts has been of therapy and something I'd like to like extend outside of the sessions and in with journaling. Because I'm fascinated about why I am the way I am, but also why other people are the way that they are. Um, because I don't think it, um, for me, it doesn't like necessarily justify my actions or someone else's actions, but it helps me understand why people respond to certain things the way they do, why I respond to things the way I do. And I do think that is the most interesting part for me. I find that deeply interesting. Yeah, I think that's some of our temperaments and personality styles. And some folks might be listening to this like terrified, like that's a horrible idea. I'm not trying to find out. I don't want to know. Like, I just want to keep it surface. And so no shame in your mental health game, wherever you're at, it's where you're at. So think about what you want, your goals. But if you're trying to like dig deeper, journaling is a really cool way. And it takes, I love that it takes time. You have to slow down and write and think and feel and process. And that's therapeutic in and of itself. Mm, Definitely. Um, And I know you recently launched a course on inner child stuff. Yes. And I would love to know how that kind of connects to this because I'm interested to know more about it and how that plays into that de- that dealing aspect, that kind of, you know, looking after yourself a bit more. Yeah. So inner child work is really powerful, cool mental health work where you as an adult are interested in your development 
and you take on responsibility for exploring that and healing whatever has happened in your life. So your childhood, your adolescence, your early adult years, your needs weren't perfectly met. You didn't have all the coping skills you know today. You didn't have a fully developed brain. So we all leave with some scars. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, is, hey, I'm going to connect to these different pieces of me. I'm going to be responsible for them. I'm going to meet their needs. I'm going to show up where there's pain and hurt. So whether you were bullied or have trauma or abuse or misunderstanding or failures or hiccups, it's like, hey, I know how that felt and I'm going to get my own back. So I'm going to like connect to this piece of me and I'm going to offer them support now and whatever unresolved feelings or um, unfinished business is there, I'm the one to take care of it. No one else can meet my needs. No one else can be the perfect solution like I can. So it's all about self-worth, self-validation and self-healing because we're the only ones who can do it. It's got to be us who's like, hey, 16-year-old you, we were awkward and embarrassing. Or hey, seven-year-old you, this really scary hard thing happened to you. Or hey, three-year-old you and saying, I see you, that matters to me. I know how to set boundaries now. I know how to take care of us. I'm the one who says you're enough. I believe in you. I love you. So that's what the big idea is. And that's feeling, dealing, healing in the past when we didn't know how to. It's us healing pain, healing trauma, healing developmental wounds, and applying skills and tools. Now, building a relationship with ourselves. I don't think there's any more important work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's great. I'm so, I feel like for me, that's like what I want to really consciously go into because I just see the benefits. I'm like, I Mm -hmm. just... Yeah, I just think, um, and you know what I love about social media is like, I would just never have come across these concepts without social media. I would never have been having this conversation without people like yourself putting this information out there, making it accessible. Like, because I felt, you know, obviously not only does I think getting help for mental health, we do think of therapy and we do think of it as something that's expensive. It's and it can be expensive um, and it's inaccessible and for some people, but not for others. And I think like, just, I'm so grateful to you for just even having this conversation because I really think people are going to be like, oh my goodness, I've never heard of these concepts before. Mm, cool. And to like have this is so helpful because just like you said, total game changers, total game changers can change the course of your life because you healed those, you know, those, those wounds that left, I think. Oh, I mean, yeah, total pillar of my own personal health, mental health rather. And I mean, dude, when something changes you and impacts you so much and I see the power and I see, I want other people to know I want to help them. And I'm limited in how many people I can reach in the therapy room. And even in the therapy room, the work is so deep and so ongoing. I'm like, people always wanted a course and it just felt too big for me to create. I was like, how do I possibly package this? And I finally did. And I really think it's a cool way for folks to take it at their own pace. It's cheaper than one session of therapy and ongoing lifetime work. Right. And so I'm just passionate about it because I see what it does and mental health isn't accessible. We don't have mental health education we got to start somewhere. So that's, that's what my courses are all about. And I think if you're interested in inner child work course, I may, or inner child work rather, um, this course is pretty robust. It's pretty comprehensive. I think I'm going to have to do it. 
Um, <laughs> I'm like, you sold, I'm gonna do it. Um, let's talk about the healing aspect then. That like, like we've kind of mentioned that the idea that it's like, you know, it's the cheesy line, like it's a journey, not a destination. But I think we've kind of, yeah, really, like maybe we've covered that in in terms of like, would we're because I feel like, you know, in the case of my own experience, having done this work in therapy, I feel like a lot has healed. But I also know that there's a whole load more stuff that I want to dig into. And I know that there's more healing that can happen. And even if I feel great having done this work, um, I don't feel like, right, that's it, I'm done, dusted, that was cool. I feel like for me, it's like, right, this is an ongoing process that I'll be doing through the different phases of my life. And, you know. That's it. Mm. Development. We are not static. We are dynamic. We are changing. COVID shows us that. We never know what's around the corner. And when anything changes, we shift and we have to adjust our footing. Mm -hmm. So healing is this ongoing commitment to self-care, to self-compassion, to self-validation, to honoring our feelings, to being a loving parent to ourselves. Every developmental stage, right? You go through college or you go through early career um, you step into mid life, you step into late life. Like there's always something new for us to adjust to and learn and heal. And each phase brings new stuff. So healing is just this ongoing growth, learning, unlearning, adjustment, transition, and trying to find commitment to ourselves through that process. It's a bit of an anticlimactic piece of feel, deal, heal. I don't know how much I can say because it is just kind of that. And I'm like, man, I got to come up with more ideas. But it's like, because it's not this perfect wrapped up box of like, you're healed. Even if you heal from something like cancer, you're in remission, right? And we may have to adjust at another phase of life. But when you're committed to feeling and dealing, you're committed to healing. And it's this just ongoing loving relationship with yourself. That's how I view it. Well, let's talk about the growth that comes from that like healing and how it can transform maybe our relationships, how we, for me, something I'm conscious of is like doing this work now. So eventually when hopefully I get the chance to be a parent, I'm like, you know, not putting a ton of baggage onto my, you know, my children or, and all that kind of stuff, like how it kind of helps us show up better as for ourselves, for other people. That's what I'm really that's a strong motivation to me behind doing this work. Yeah. It's being conscious. It's being mindful. It's being, it's being aware of like, we have conditionings, we have self-defeating beliefs, we have ways of being and how you are without kids. And then if you do have kids, the huge adjustment and transition and life impact that is. And like, mm. now I got to become conscious in a whole new way. And like, wow, this shines light on all of my shit in a whole new way. And this brings out the worst in me and like, wow, all my stuff. It's a whole new phase of adaptation, consciousness, mindfulness, dedication to living consciously and wholeheartedly. Like it's this constant ebb and flow. Yes. And yeah, I, I, I just encourage, I mean, like, I just hope people listening, I'm, I'm, I'm confident people listening are going to be like, sign me up <laughs> because it's just, it's like, however you choose, like, I think however the, any person chooses to kind of decide to like work on themselves 
like just that first step like I think it does feel like because of the stigma because of the kind of yeah like the moral attachment we have to this stuff like it does feel scary and intimidating and also like you're opening Pandora's box I think that's one of like one of the common things I I kind of um have conversations with people about is like well if I do therapy then I'm just going to be sad all the time or if Mm. I if I let myself feel my sadness because I think a lot of maybe what of the we're suppressing is like sadness and pain and and difficult stuff painful sure and when I let myself feel those things and deal with those things then I'll be like that forever and I won't be happy I won't um and I think there's like one this is another phrase that I've learned through following various therapy accounts on social media about the the idea of toxic positivity of mm-hmm. of you know constantly saying like you know just stay positive you know like just positive thinking and all this stuff like can get us going when I think the reality is that that is that can play into that pushing down of the emotion and and not dealing with it and yeah, yeah I would I would love to hear you as a therapist kind of like bust the myth that people who choose to do this work are only sad only that it's always going to be that way and and right there isn't light and shade there yeah so that's this is let's go back to the shore jumping up on the surfboard and with some education and learning about emotions so remember by feeling emotion emotion passes but folks say no like i've surfed before and i got stuck and i could never get back to shore and i say that's because you didn't know how to surf mm-hmm. so now we're gonna surf with validation and acceptance, we're not going to fight the waves. And so I'm not saying we can perfectly prevent depressive episodes. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying we're not going to feel. The goal here is to not, the goal of feel, deal, heal isn't preventing emotion. The goal is to feel emotion. So. And do you think the goal is to not judge yourself feeling the emotion? Yeah, this is to have a good relationship with your emotions and to accept them and to be really dedicated to yourself. So one, the paradox is by feeling emotion, it can pass. But also the goal here isn't like a sneaky back alley. Well, this is how I get rid of them. It's really to say my emotions matter and I can feel them. And a lot of the times if we feel something and we're stuck and we're like, oh, I don't want to be stuck there. Can we look back and say, yeah, but I had a lot of judgment and I had a lot of resistance and my natural instincts came in and maybe I didn't have the skills to regulate what if we take it on now, have some surfing lessons and we're like, this will pass. Here's skills to help regulate your nervous system when it's thrown into fight or flight and you literally get stuck. Mm-hmm. Here's what you do with those emotions. Here's how you feel the sensations in your body. Let's give it a color and a shape. And oh shoot, do we need to do some safety work first so you can actually feel it? There's a lot of reasons people might be fe- stuck. But theoretically, and what I see the vast, vast, vast majority of the time is when you learn how to feel, because it's a skill set to like do something that's the opposite of our biological hardwiring, it passes and you don't get stuck. And that's the journey of like, I stay true to this and I feel it even if I don't want to. So even though I preach this all day, every day, grief is an emotion I really, really don't like. I don't want to feel it. I hate it anytime it pops up. (laughs) Grief sucks, dude, right? (laughs) So when I feel that lump rising in my throat and you feel the like Mm. swelling behind your eyes, I always am like, nope, and I want to shove it down. But if I'm dedicated to feel, deal, heal, I say, feel it. 
and I let, and I, I try to open and just let it surface and let myself honor that moment. And the fear is always like, I don't want to get depressed. I don't want to be stuck in grief. I can't function. I can't go to work. And I have to get rid of all of that catastrophizing and just come to saying like, this matters. I have to honor this. Mm-hmm. And it always passes. Mm-hmm. But when I resist it, when I resist it rather, and I'm like, no, 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 no. That's when I get freaking hella depressed and stuck. But when I allow those moments to come as vulnerable and raw and painful, physiologically painful as they are, it moves. And so that's the journey. Mm. I'm not here to deny that it is pain. It's, it's going to be easy or not painful, but I am saying by feeling it, it can heal. Oh, Tiffany, I'm just so um, inspired and encouraged by our conversation and I just, I'm so grateful for your time today. Um, where can everyone find you? Where can everyone find more information about the work you're doing, access your courses, your podcast? All the things. All the things. I need a list of all the things because I forget them. I was going to ask, like, have you got a journal? I feel like you need to come up with some, a journal now. <laughs> We've, we had a, a blank field deal heal journal. They sold out. I, I never know how to manage the merch life. I'm a therapist after all. But I would love one with your questions, though. I'm just putting that out there. I like, like prompts. Yeah. I, feel like that I love great. it. So come hang out with me on Instagram at heytiffanyrowe. Uh, you get my therapy thoughts there and lots of just like free education and tools. My podcast is called the Ther- is called Therapy Thoughts. You can find me anywhere you get podcasts. I like to break down therapy-related topics and mental health education for y'all. My courses, everything I do, the hub is tiffanyrow.com. You can find my courses and I have them ranging from like $30 up to a couple grand for the biggest kahuna of them all for like helping professionals building their business. But it's like mindfulness, emotional regulation, body image, intuitive eating, inner child work, affirmations. I have tons of courses that are for everyone, lifetime access. Um, I have merch. You can get Therapy is Cool swag. I've got a Therapy is Cool top. Should have worn it. Sorry. Oh, yours is the cute, colorful one. We have all of our merch coming back um, this fall, including the OG shirt that everyone wants that colorful one. And then there's one with like a little pocket design. Oh, and, um, I launched a field deal heal subscription pack a couple Mm. months back. Did I send you one? I don't think so. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to send you one. Totally fine. So we started this after COVID thinking like, okay, we're all screwed. This is so crazy. Like, how are we going to get through this time? Like, people are losing jobs. Like what's something we can like make super accessible and affordable. So it is fun mail, a mental health mailer with like journal prompts and affirmations and of course a fake tattoo and stickers and postcards. But then it's also online therapeutic support. So you get two webinars with me every month, a Facebook group, a Spotify playlist, meditation, So it's kind of combining these two worlds I've seen out there of like, oh, this online support, but also fun mail, something to look forward to that's uplifting. Mm. Yeah. And you can just buy one or you could subscribe for a cheaper price and get it ongoing. So this month was inner child work. Um, Next month is boundaries. And so we launch those every month. There's just lots of options. Um, Come party with me. Yes. Okay. Tiffany, that was amazing. I'm going to link your website below in the, in the, um, the show, show notes. notes. The mm-hmm. show notes so everyone can find you. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much 
for your time. And if you have enjoyed this episode, of course, tag myself, tag Tiffany, tag at Train Happy Podcast, hashtag Train Happy Podcast. And I'll speak to you next week. Bye, everyone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.